This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. In this episode of the Doctor Who Podcast, we'll be giving you, the lucky listeners, an e-ticket, a retrospective e-ticket to the Gallifrey One Convention. That's right, listeners. Gallifrey One, number 25, has come and gone, and I'm back home, and I'm here with Leeson. Hello. To uh, talk about all of the goings-on. Well, some of the goings-on, at least. Michelle did a really wonderful job, actually, covering the convention from the convention floor every morning with her wonderful daily podcasts and interviewing listeners and having them talk about their experiences. They actually made podcasting sound really, really easy. <laughs> yeah, we make it we make it sound so, so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they are great little segments, and it's very difficult to do that at a convention when there's so much to see and do, even if you're not having to to interview people and and report on it. It's almost impossible to to attend everything and to enjoy everything. So, yeah, kudos to Michelle there for, for managing to weave it all together. Yeah, it, was, it was true dedication to the podcast, and I commend her, because there was no way I was getting up early in the morning while I was there to, <laughs> to record... <laughs> Because I was having some late nights, so and so this, I see this listeners as a companion piece to those to those little updates from from the Gallifrey One convention, where as I said in the intro, that this this would be like your your e ticket, like so you, you can imagine that you were there, you know, because there are some poor souls out there that weren't there, aren't there, Stephen? Well, Leeson, you weren't there, and you've never been, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, all right. Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been, but I, I've imagined it in my brain box. It, it's uh, and it's brilliant. <laughs> I'm sure it's just as brilliant as you as you've imagined it, but you've got to come some some year. You really must. Oh yes, it's on it's on my list of things to do. It, it, in fact, it's been on my list of things to do for a few years, and uh, I swore I was going to do it at the fiftieth. But then things just creep up really quickly, don't they? Have you noticed this, especially with the way Doctor Who's structured nowadays, as far as having long breaks are concerned. Well, I remember when Capaldi was cast recently. I think recently, but it wasn't. I remember I remember being at work. It only seems like five days ago. And I thought, oh, well, that's him being cast. But it's going to be ages before they start filming. Now they've been filming for a while. And I'm thinking it'll be ages before the show's on. But before you know it, it's uh, it's there. This is getting older, isn't it? It's um, Time goes quickly. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, we still do have to wait to the fall. I think, I think that that is the one wait that we're going to be waiting for that's going to seem like a very long time. But hopefully not. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. We've got the with summer to enjoy soon, uh, so uh, let's make the most of that. Let's not wish it away, who fans? Do you guys even get summer over there, or is it just <laughs> rain still? We 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 get summer if if we please the gods. Um, we 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 get summer. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we we tend not to please the gods too often. <laughs> we had a good one last year, so we're we'll probably due a stinker this year. The, the thing with this country is that we uh, it's often said we 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 don't we don't have a climate. We have weather. You know, it's it's very. It's very it's it's peculiar to get two straight days of the same weather, uh, and that's what we get excited about. You know, if you get a run of two, maybe three days of sunshine, you know, we go bonkers. You know, it's all uh, knotted hankies on heads. <laughs> we we make we make the most of it. Well, we had lovely weather in Southern California this weekend. It's interesting that you called this sort of the companion piece to Michelle's daily updates, because I do feel that my experience of Gallifrey One is very, very different from Michelle's experience of Gallifrey One. It, there's, it, there's almost two galleys that happen every 
Valentine's Day weekend in February in Los Angeles. It's almost it's almost two conventions taking place, and, mm. and one is all of the panels and uh, and really lots of fan interactions, and then one is everything else that goes on. It's a really interesting thing. Mm. I mean, like I say, it's such a huge event, and from to look at it from the outside and to read the guest list, you just like I said earlier. I mean, it's just it must be a nightmare to try and. To try and plan your, I mean, I, I've been to Glastonbury, which is probably the only thing I can liken it to, where, where you, you know, you know that maybe 30, 40% of what you want to see, you're not going to be able to see. So it must be, it must be difficult to, to make those decisions. It really is. Uh, I feel like it's even worse than that because there's, there's five tracks that happen every day, four or five tracks that happen every day. So there's at least four panels going on every hour of every day. Mm. So you have to choose which one that you want to go to. But, um, <laughs> but I really end up not seeing any panels <laughs> when I'm there, mm. except for maybe one or two. And, and, you know, I go to lots of conventions. I go to Comic-Con and WonderCon and things like that. And it's always the same where it's just, it ends up being not so much about the panels, but but more about the community that's happening and the goings-on outside of the panels. Um, my, mm. you know, my day Friday was, was spent waiting in line for, for photo ops, basically. It was either waiting in line for photo op or running to get some food in between waiting in line for photo ops. <laughs> See, I, I had you pictured as a bar fly, maybe you know, hanging around one of the many bars in, in the lobby. Okay, well, I might have said I was going to get food, but drinking Guinness every chance <laughs> that I got. <laughs> you know, it's, it's Guinness, Guinness does qualify uh, in, in, in the Guinness Book of Records as food, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. So, of the things you managed to attend in between drinks, uh, uh, meals... The, what what were the best? What were the best? What were your highlights of the of the weekend? Oh boy, let's see highlights of the weekend. Well, actually, the photos, even though the, the photo calls at these things are always sort of step up, get the picture next, you know, move along. Mm-hmm. Actually, getting a photo taken with um, with Billy Piper and Arthur Darvill and Paul McGann was mm. was pretty cool. Uh, Billy is gorgeous in person. Uh, yeah, because because Billy Billy in real life is posh rose, isn't she? And that, um, that's quite that's quite endearing. I, I, I like I like the ever so slightly upper class accent. She is. She's very she's very posh. I think I walked up to her and just told her that she was gorgeous, and she mm. you know, and she thanked me and then smiled and I moved along. <laughs> uh, it's always fun. Uh, they have the um, the Eighth Doctor's screen use TARDIS console is there every year. There's uh, photo opportunities with that, getting cl- up close and personal with that. Did, did Paul get a chance to get up, up close and personal with it again? He did, actually, yes. I'm sure there was a fee involved, but taking photos with lots of fans with the console, which was cool. Yeah. Because uh, Paul's a really nice nice guy, and, and he he's really sort of embraced the the fan circuit and things now. I think he feels... I saw him recently at an event, and he, he feels like his doctor's almost been validated in a way by that by the, the thing that was done for the 50th, his little, uh, his little mini-sode. Uh, and he, he's pleased as punch. Uh, so I think he feels he feels like he's a proper doctor now, and I don't think he ever felt that before. That's great. Well, he should. He is a proper doctor, hmm. you know. Someone had told me a story, and they heard, they heard him maybe speaking to another doctor, and this was maybe at a past galley or whatever, just saying how, how wonderful it is being at Gallifrey One and being sort of treated like a king and people are dressed like him and, you know, he is the doctor and he, how, that's how he really loves it. So, um, and, and you're amongst friends here, no one's listening. Who was the best doctor there? Who was the best doctor there? Well, there was only two. You know, Colin continues to be an amazing, amazing ambassador for the show. You know, um, he just has such uh, such a great spirit, and uh, 
he was fantastic. He was very happy to be there and, and joking and talked about a couple of things that had that he had said that ended up in the press that he was, uh, you know, about the, mm. about the fiftieth that he was unhappy with. What did he say? What did he say? Well, he just said that he was he was misquoted and he, you know, and things like that about, uh, about not being in the 50th. And he said that they didn't need him, but, um, he did confirm that they are under the sheets. Yes. Oh, and I, I didn't, you love that? That was just so beautiful. Beautiful. I know people that switched off before it got to the, before it got to that bit. Uh, and so, so missed that, that lovely little moment at the end. But yeah, Colin is, is just, he's, he's a lovely, lovely man. Uh, I mean, he comes across, across as genuinely lovely. And, and it's made all the more bittersweet because, because he is the one of all of them that, that has the right to be so bitter about it and but has gone on to, to, like you say, be such a good ambassador. And I believe he's the um, president of the um, Doctor Appreciation Society now, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, mm. it's, 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 it's really great. And he... One of the lovely things about about uh, Gallifrey One is how much time everyone will take with the convention goers. I mean, aside from from Billy and Arthur, who are sort of special cases, you know, because they're quote unquote big stars. Everyone else sort of will just take time to to talk to everyone and and have little conversations. And though Billy did as well, because you can, I, I've seen a lot of videos of her, of her online talking to people and meeting people. So she did do that during her autograph sessions and whatnot. But um, but just seeing uh, Colin Baker apparently, um, uh, uh, Michelle talked about this in one of the the morning episodes. That Colin Baker showed up to the ice cream social and served someone some ice cream. And and Paul McGann is always wandering around. You can see him. You can see him in the bar every once in a while. You know, uh, or just seeing sitting sitting in the lobby with people and uh everyone's very accessible it's really it's really nice this is something that comes comes over uh, quite quite often when when, uh, when i've spoken to people that have been there when i've heard uh, stories and anecdotes recounted is that the stars are i mean they're essentially they're, they're paid to, to be there and on tap and wandering around and mingling aren't they and and yeah presumably more some of them are more happy to do it than others but that seems really nice that seems like a a, a really because you've got the scale of it being you know, a gargantuan Doctor Who convention, as well as it being sort of intimate and friendly and with with the stars wandering about, it it, it does sound. It's, I've got to go. I've got to go. That's the other thing about the, about the the show. Really, is that um, like I said, there's the the other side to, to Gallifrey One, which is the, um, you know, everything that's going on outside the panels and, and why I don't actually get to go to many panels is it, it's like a gigantic family reunion. Um, mm. And there are people that I only see a couple times a year. Everyone comes together at Gallifrey One and there's a lot of just hanging out in the hallways, uh, having conversations and talking about Doctor Who, talking about costumes and things like that. And it's really, it's, it's amazing. So, do you have any nuggets of gossip? Anything, uh, anything on the circuit that that we can impart to uh, to our listener? There's a wonderful picture on uh, on Instagram, actually. If you look at the um, the Galley One hashtag of uh, Paul McGann and Daphne Ashbrook uh, sitting on a couch in the lobby, and it looks like Daphne's sitting on his lap, basically. Yeah. There's a gossip, some hot goss. Speaking of the Eighth Doctor, Ian and Michelle uh, are back, and they have another uh, wonderful uh, review for us uh, of Eighth Doctor story. I believe that they're they're on tap to to review Invaders from Mars and Chimes of Midnight for us. Oh, one of those is a good one. That spoiled it. Big finish with Ian and Michelle from across the Atlantic Ocean. Ian from the UK and Michelle from the United States reviewing Big Finish. 
sorting out the wheat from the chaff and nonsense, saving you money on the ones that are not so good. Having enjoyed looking at Paul McGann's first series with Big Finish uh, a few weeks ago, we've now decided why stop there? And we're going to carry on now and go on into Paul McGann's second run of stories, starting with Invaders from Mars by Mark Gattis and The Chimes of Midnight by Rob Shearman. The first of these, Invaders from Mars, is a historical story set in the 1930s in America. Indeed, in Invaders from Mars, we learn that that famous War of the Worlds broadcast really was covering up a real alien invasion. And this has the Doctor and Charlie uh, discovering that and thwarting it throughout the course of this thing. This is kind of an interesting hodgepodge. It is set in the 1930s, and they've gone for kind of an old-time radio drama feel, complete with kind of interesting stings all the way through. But it's got a lot of different genres thrown in as well. I mean, there's there's the private detective kind of film noir theme going, and the doctor takes on the role of a detective for a while. It's, it's a gangster movie or a mobster movie as well. It's a spy thriller, and of course there's the science fiction elements. Uh, there's a gazillion characters in it, and I found for me that I struggle a little with this one. I mean, it's fun, and it's kind of fun to listen to, but it almost takes itself too lightly. Even when Doctor Who is exploring different genres, I like it to still take itself seriously, even if there's comedy thrown in. And this one I found I had a little bit of a hard time believing this as a genuine uh, adventure that the Doctor and Charlie were having. That's a dead man's desk you've got your feet on, Doctor. So, Miss B, what's the rumpus? You cracking foxy with me, or is you in trouble with the bricks? They're going to drag you down to the hall because some guy gets shot through the pump of the heater? Are you all right? Local patter, Charlie. It almost helps break the ice. As it happens, it's a particular skill of mine. Miss Pollard, is Mr. Halliday unwell? No, no. Um, He just gets like that sometimes. I believe he was trying to say, how can we help you? I think you're right. I, I found the main plot to be kind of inconsistent in tone. We have the 30s noir gumshoe, as you say, with mobsters and Nazis. But then other parts of it had sort of the reds under the bed and that pulp sci-fi thing, which was very evocative of the 50s for me. So you've got two eras, 20 years apart, kind of flicking back and forth. And I found it a bit hard to get a handle on things because of that. I thought that the, the central conceit of the of a historical looking at that Orson Welles broadcast is a lovely idea. But actually, for most of the story, it wasn't really used. It was just kind of sitting off to one side something that's happening in parallel to the main story. And even when it was brought in, it there, there was a nice idea about how it was going to be used, but it was a bit throwaway. Also, just because we do like our historical accuracy, it's not true that there was mass panic and riot on the streets. That was a, a, a newspaper construct. Once again, we have these very heavy and clichéd American accents, this time this sort of very broad New York accents. And I can't really speak to their authenticity, but in a general sense, I find audios with these sort of really heavy accents kind of hard work to listen to. He says, well, go along to Luigi's on 34th and Lexington and look for the guy with his nose shut off. Why, you... And then he says, shoot off the rest of his face for me, will you? (laughs) I wouldn't do that if I were you boys. Oh, no. Luigi, could we have the tab, please? And I think you're right. The, the accents are overstated and cliched, but it fits with the tone of the story. These were caricatures more than they were characters. And so I, I don't know that I was bothered specifically by the accents. It was, it was more that I 
couldn't quite go with the, the tone of the story. And I mentioned that there were a lot of characters. I actually found as I went through this, I had a hard time figuring out who was who and following some of the different threads of the story because I couldn't keep the characters straight in my head, which isn't a problem I usually have with Big Finish. Yes, I, I found the same thing. I also thought that the aliens were interesting, but actually their motivations and objectives seemed to flit about quite a lot. And OK, they, they there was some deception going on within the story, but even within that, I... I struggled to get a handle on them and what they were doing and why same as I did for many of the characters in fact this whole story I, I struggled to really sort of get a handle on what what's going on who should I be rooting for who's doing what but there's some nice ideas in there I don't think it quite clicked as a whole yeah middle of the road kind of story for me I think but you mentioned this was written by Mark Gaddis of course famous uh, going on to write for Doctor Who itself. Uh, another famous writer, Robert Shearman, gives us the next story that we're going to look at, The Chimes of Midnight. In this story, the Doctor and Charlie find themselves in an Edwardian mansion on Christmas Eve, but somehow the staff seem to keep dying on them. Hear that? A clock ticking. A grandfather clock. Oh, you can hear it too. I thought it was just me. Come on, Charlie, back to the TARDIS. Doctor? There are some mysteries best left unsolved, and something has gone to great lengths to stop us from interfering. You're frightened. Yes. Too late. I think that whatever was keeping us out has decided to let us in. I'm relatively new to Big Finish, having only really started listening a couple of years back. Uh, but from the very first, along with a couple of others, Chimes of Midnight is one of those stories that gets talked about as being one of the highlights, one of one of the best audios that, that Big Finish has ever done. And I can see why. I, I thought that the, the Edwardian setting, the atmosphere of it was fabulous, that the characters were interesting, really, really well played, and that the plot's got this um, lovely mystery and intrigue with sort of elements of Agatha Christie murder mystery thrown in. And the, the sort of slow burn and slow reveal of what's going on was just perfectly balanced. The first time I listened to this was three or four years ago, probably, and I found myself not as enchanted with it as most of fandom is. I listened to it the second time, and, and I was more captivated this time. I do think it's a good, solid story. And, and as you say, the things that draw you in are the characters and, and some of the mystery I think I struggle with it a little bit. It's got one of those Groundhog Day type plot devices where you go back to and, and relive the same period of time two or three times with slight differences each time. And, and it is important for the way the plot builds, but I think I get a little impatient with going back and reliving things. I also struggle a little bit with this one uh, on the reveal of who the baddie is and how the baddie came to be a baddie. Uh, it's, the ex explanation for that seems a little bit thin for me, a little bit on the uh, the magic side rather than the science side that you typically get in Doctor Who. I thought the Agatha Christie elements of the murder mystery intrigue worked really well, and in fact they even allude to within the story that Doctor talks about the fact that he feels like he's in an Agatha Christie mystery. I think the atmosphere was really absorbing, and I totally lost myself in the world they were creating. I, I think there's excellent work by both Rob Shearman and the director Barnaby Edwards. Uh, there's not many of the, the big Finnish audios that I really find myself you know that, that affects when you read a book and then you kind of feel like you're waking up when you when you finish it and I've got a real sense of that listening to this if I had a slight down note and it, it is as you say as the story progresses to its resolution 
we veer into timey-wimey territory, and there's also some pretty large continuity references to some other stories. They're not bad, but I think it detracts from the story, both in terms of the initial setup as being an Agatha Christie-style murder mystery, where, you know, having set, you know, in like Sherlock Holmes style, you're supposed to put all the evidence out there so people can draw the conclusions if they want to, but then, you know, the, the, sort of the great detective finds the solution. And that's not really what ha- what happens here. They, they, they kind of cheat. Maybe he's the killer, someone we haven't met yet. No, not possible. There are rules to this sort of mystery, Charlie. It wouldn't be fair if the murderer turned out to be someone we hadn't even suspected. Rules? What do you mean? Oh, I think that there are rules to this, Charlie. Don't you? It all feels like some sort of elaborate game to me. And also because of the, the, the continuity references that appear later on, I think it would detract slightly for the casual listener, which is a shame because otherwise I would say this would be a, a, a really strong story for someone new to Big Finish or new to the Eighth Doctor to come in at because it, it is a really good story that will that draws you in and pulls you along. Yeah, I think in terms of the Big Finish canon, this is a must-listen, uh, one of the ones that you really ought to have have in your experience. Well, thank you, Michelle. Uh, always, always very thorough, uh, almost forensic reviews that they do that's marvelous because that i i'm incapable of doing that sort of review i'm i'm far too um i'm far too subjective uh, as far as these things are concerned and, and uh, i like the way you michelle sort of fillet it together uh, i i'm i'm like you i just sort uh, of my my opinion is usually like yeah i liked it <laughs> yeah but i don't know why yet I, I get that quite a lot when they have to come on here and especially when the new series is on We've watched it the night before. Sometimes we, we, we have the privilege of, of seeing them early. But essentially you've watched it and then you, and then you record. And you've probably only got a chance to watch it once. And I have these sort of gut feelings that, you know, I liked it, didn't like it. But it takes me a while to realise why. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the exact same way. I usually have to watch it a few times and try and get it to sink in. So. See, I have the same thing with, with conventions as we're on the convention bent uh, in this episode. Is that when I'm actually there and immersed in everything... It, I find it very hard to, to 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 know whether I'm enjoying myself, and I think a lot of it is down to um, you know schedules and things. You know, we're talking about there's so much to see and so much to do. It's, there's almost so much. It's it's, it's a panic. The, the, the day will go because invariably the ones that I attend are, are, are day things in sheds in a field somewhere, as, uh, as that is how we do things in this country. And it's not until two or three days later when I look back on it that I sort of go, oh, I know I had a really good time. But it takes it takes me a while for these things to sink in. So is it a bit is it a bit mind blowing, Gally? What was it, it? It really is. It really is. It's it's overwhelming. I I'm constantly looking that they post the schedule on the wall, really huge. I'm constantly looking where what should I do next? Where where should I go? There's just so many choices and so much to do, and it's why I end up not seeing you know one tenth of what I what I'd like to see because it is it's just it's just overwhelming, and I don't necessarily know whether I'm enjoying it until I'm gone and and it's, and I'm back like I am right now, and I've got the post Gallifrey one blues. Mm, so, uh, so while you're languishing in your blues, so what what, what were the highlights? What what, not necessarily the ones you, you saw, what were sort of generally held to be the highlights of this year? Well, I think that from what I have heard, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, from what I remember, uh, from what I heard, the, 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 there was a panel that had all of the past companions on it, uh, Matthew Waterhouse and Nicola Bryant and uh, Billy Piper and Arthur Darville. And uh, apparently it got quite um, naughty quite quickly. So that I heard that that was a really a highlight. And also the Paul McGann, uh, most most of the things actually that Michelle mentioned in her morning updates, Paul McGann watching mm. Night of the Doctor for the first time with an audience. Oh. 
and Paul McGann and Colin Baker being on a panel together, two mm. big Finnish doctors. The masquerade was was is always amazing at uh, at Gal- at Galley. Uh, the costumes are just incredible. A friend of mine actually did a. Um, she she uh, made a prosthetic Dalek eye coming out of her forehead, and it looked incredible. It looked amazing. Oh, because you're the costume man, aren't you? And you are you are the man who who likes costumes. I'm very into the costuming. Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, I'm saying in your guise as a as a Doctor Who fan. Not we're not discussing your personal. Life. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, were you were you in costume? I was. I had various uh, various Doctor costumes. Uh, you took various doctor. outfits. Yeah, yeah. I had I had I had several Eleventh um, Doctor costumes, and my my costume premiered this weekend was the Time of the Doctor sort of Victorian coat with the big furry collar and stuff like that that I. Ah, so so even before you've got down into the lobby and you've looked at the uh, the itinerary on the wall, you've got. You've got to decide which of your eleventh Doctor costumes to put on. Yes, yes, I've usually I mean, usually decided that a few weeks beforehand. Do you ever find that you need a holiday once you've been to Galley just to rest, just to rest the brain? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> what are you wearing now? <laughs> I'm just I, I'm I'm actually in a onesie right now. Oh, is it a TARDIS one? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I very nearly uh, I very nearly got bought one of those uh, uh, last Christmas because do you find this? Uh, when people know you're a Doctor Who fan, they, they think that oh, it's it's a surefire bet uh, that you know Christmas presents and birthday presents are easy because they'll just get you uh, you know a Dalek mug, another Dalek mug. Um, I mean, you've got millions of these things that ordinarily. I mean, I am a fan of the show, but I've got a lot of memorabilia and things that, that I I wouldn't choose to buy myself. I've got several copies of the uh, Doctor Who Encyclopedia by Gary Russell. But there's a, you know there's also a huge dealer room at Galleon where there's lots of really you know. Arts and crafts, and I had some friends who who were in the uh, who had stuff in the uh, the art show, and some wonderful uh, uh, Doctor Who inspired watches and things like that. It, I feel like the art show goes uh, goes missed a lot of times, but um, it's it's there's there's incredible art in there. Mm. See, the, the more I hear about it, the more it, it does remind me of uh, of a Glastonbury sort of thing. That there are these strange little fields, these strange little areas that are doing little things that people don't talk about so much. Are there any more things that go on that, uh, as, as well as the arts and crafts and things that, that people don't always hear about? Well, yeah, there was there was also a, a sketch show one night uh, that some friends of mine put on. They do, my friends who are very into the costuming as well, they put on a, a, a sketch show uh, called The Idiot's Lantern. They do a lot of really hard work on it, and the, the costumes are, are, of course, amazing, and uh, it's it's funny. It's it's very funny, and it's very, um, it's very fan-focused. So, uh, for me, one of the highlights always is, is the uh, is the karaoke. Ah, so this is Doctor Who themed, is it? It's not. It's not. That's what's oh. strange. But it's Doctor Who fans are interesting, you know. Um, and, yes, we are. Uh, and uh, they're a lot of fun. And <laughs> uh, put the, put a stage and a microphone in front of them, and they they go a little wild. I see. In my when you said uh, the karaoke is always fun, I immediately thought you got lots of people. Um, Doing the singing to the bass backing track, doing the ooey oohs. Now that would that that would that would be good. <laughs> that would be good. Yeah, I'd, that pay, would be I'd good. pay to see that. Uh, <laughs> if, if it was a choice between that and seeing uh, Paul McGann, I'd, I'd definitely go for the ooey oohs. I said that um, I couldn't get up uh, in the mornings to to record with Michelle, and that's because the nightlife is so amazing. 
there. It's so much fun uh, between karaoke and LobbyCon and just wandering around the lobby talking to people and, and having some drinks and and uh, making new friends and, mm. and seeing old friends. Uh, for me, that's really what the convention is all about. Um, the panels the panels are, are generally really good, but um, you know I, I listen to so many podcasts and that uh, – going into another room and, and, and listening to people discuss things is just is not not necessarily always as interesting to me as what's going on in the hallways with people talking and, and people hanging out. Yeah, the, 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 the social aspect of things. Because when I first started mixing on the scene, it was the first thing that struck me. It was that every event I've been to has been really friendly. The people I've met have, have been great. And there's less... There seems to be no sort of... It's, there's no factionalised nature between the fans... Which, which I, I can imagine, and I don't know for sure, that you, you could get with other science fiction programmes where maybe the Klingons stand in one corner you know, and the Vulcans stand in another and, and don't mix. I, I don't know how it works with, with Star Trek. But uh, you get none of that. You, you don't get, um, you know, ood Cyberman separation. No, no. Everyone, everyone just hangs out. Everyone's on the same level and it's great. I was actually on a couple panels, though, uh, despite uh, not going to very many panels. I was on uh, one panel uh, that was a look back at the 11th Doctor. That was that was fun. Uh, it was very much in the vein of, of what we do. Um, but I was on another panel that I really enjoyed, and uh, it was about Britain's influence on America in pop culture, movies, TV, music, things like that. And uh, we had such a fantastic discussion about music, about the history of, of, of British music coming over to America, and and, uh, and also um, about television shows and, and how, how television shows have, uh, from, uh, from England have, have influenced American television shows. It was, it was really fantastic, and I really enjoyed it. Mm. On, on, the, on the subject of that, I don't know where this is mentioned, but I would like, I mean, much as, and I'll say this now, get it out of the way, Murray Gold does an absolutely wonderful job. I mean, some of the, some of the themes for, for the Doctors and the running themes for, for the music he's produced in general for the show has been absolutely fabulous. I mean, some of those tunes will be stuck in my head forever. Uh, fabulous but I would like I would really like to see the show going back to being a bit more experimental with the music when you listen back to um, the the Daleks and all the music to concrete that was was used on that strange sounds experimental stuff the whole radiophonic workshop just guys with beards and loads of old equipment um, sort of pushing boundaries I'd I'd like to see a bit more of that uh, return to the music of the show and I and I wonder if we'll. I wonder if we'll see. It. Has Murray Gold been confirmed for series eight? You know, I do not know. I believe that he has. Hmm. I believe that he has. I mean, he's, he's he is a safe pair of hands. He's he's a he's a very talented guy. But I would like to see a bit less orchestra and a bit a bit more off the wall. You know. Yes, you know, I think that I would it would be interesting. There was actually uh, something that happened at Gally, at Gally Actually, uh, Dominic Glynn was there, and he live remixed the theme from the happiness patrol during the panel that he was on. Mm -hmm. So he was up there like doing a whole live remix of the music and playing and playing it from the, from the plinth uh, on his panel. And I missed it. I missed it. Oh, see, I like all that. They, they they did a bit of that for the 50th, you know, the, the proms thing when they had um, Mark Ayers and I forget who, Oh, it was Mark Ayers and um, I I can't remember his name. Anyway, a couple of radiophonic workshop guys that uh, that did a sort of live remix of loads of old bits of um, 
and they had reel-to-reel tape up there and all sorts. And I, I love all that. Uh, in fact, the Radio, Radiophonic Workshop are, are a, a version of are currently touring, aren't they? Uh, certainly touring this country. Are they? I didn't know that. Yeah, is that, yeah, is yeah. that the one that uh, Peter Davison is sort of going around with? or? Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I just saw, I saw, um, yeah, I saw a, a date list. I'd, I'd love to go and see that because those guys were geniuses. And I love the fact that the BBC had no idea what they were getting up to down there. They just sort of, the results were just mind-blowing. Yeah, I, I, agreed, agreed. Right, well, well I, I think we've, we've rambled for, for long enough. I mean, if, if someone's on a lunch break now, they might be, they might be late for work if they're listening. <laughs> I might be late for work. I think I'm on my <laughs> lunch break. <laughs> at this dedication, that's the kind of dedication that you get from here at the Department for Work and Pensions. I mean, the Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> well, I, I would like to say that uh, tickets go on sale for next year's galley on March 21st. That's two weeks late, isn't it? Yes, they they just changed it uh, to, to to March twenty first. So everyone, keep an eye out. It sold out really quickly this year. Uh, Thirty seven hundred attendees sold out very quickly. So um, if you want to go, keep an eye on the Gallifrey One website um, and and buy your tickets quickly. I've just had a look. It's uh, sold out. <laughs> <laughs> no, folks, uh, don't panic. It's not sold. Well, actually, it might be sold out by the time you hear this. It depends when it goes out. Wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stephen, it's been a pleasure as always. Uh, I hope I've managed to uh, to mask my, my rampant jealousy. Um, you haven't, but <laughs> I'm going to revel in it. So <laughs> I need to get a rampant jealousy filter. Yes. <laughs> in time for next year. <laughs> well, so until next time, uh, this is me, Lisa Fisher, saying goodbye. And this is me, Stephen Prescott, saying goodbye. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Cheers. You've been listening to the Doctor Who Podcast, brought to you this week by Leeson and Stephen. You can find more episodes of the show at thedoctorwhopodcast.com or check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or drop by the Doctor Who Podcast forums and say hi. Thanks for listening. See you later.